and welcome to the Bulwark's Next Level interview. I'm your host, Tim Miller. I've got my friend Brianna Keeler today. She is the host of CNN News Central on from 1 to 4 Eastern Time. Uh, she has a column for CNN called Homefront. It's a segment on the show sometimes that deals with issues facing military families and veterans. This is personal to her. Her husband, Fernando, uh, who she met was a Green Beret. She had their child while he was deployed. And so she kind of came into the military life and faced a lot of stuff that she just wasn't familiar with and, and wanted to learn more about and educate people more about, which I thought is so cool and so appropriate for a Veterans Day weekend podcast. We also obviously talked about Donald Trump and uh, other such issues. So we get into a little politics, a little media criticism, a little family, a little parenting talk. You're going to enjoy it. And then I think that we will be back on Wednesday with Sarah and JVL for our usual political chatter. Make sure if you haven't, I've been looking at the podcast comments. I've been noticing we're, we're not getting as many positive reviews from you people. So if you're a new listener to this podcast, go on, rate us, give us the five stars, review, you know, talk about how much better you like my takes than JVLs, give us a little review. It helps us with the podcast ratings. Check out the show on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to the Bulwark's YouTube. Up next, Brianna Keeler. It's a great talk. Enjoy your Veterans Day weekend. But first, our friends at Acetone. Hello, welcome to the Borg's Next Level Sunday interview. I'm Tim Miller. I'm here with my friend Brianna Keeler. I'm so excited of CNN. It is uh, Veterans Day weekend. We're going to talk about veterans issues because, Brianna, if you're an MSNBC viewer, you're not a CNN viewer, that's okay. But I'm telling you, I wanted to pick somebody from CNN that I could just suck up to and say they're doing a great job of interviewing and, and have everybody know that it's not because like I'm angling for you know better slots on the show or anything like that. So I, I have Brianna on for that reason and because she's a military spouse and started the Homefront you know, program vertical, vertical column. column. What are we calling it? Column? Yeah, column. At CNN. But I want to start here. So the reason, this reason, we used to we used to hang out a little bit, you know, on the circuit in D.C. Yeah. I'd see you, and that, and back then you were dating uh, political hacks, which was a mistake, which was your first mistake oh, in absolutely. retrospect. So I don't, this is not a dating <laughs> show, so we're not going to. This is how I haven't even gotten to talk yet. We're not going to do the lowlights. Like, I know you haven't got to talk there. yet. I'm already talking about your exes. And then <laughs> I guess at a bar you met you met you met a green beret. Is that what is that what happened? This was after um, I moved. I, I leave and you're just where were you? Were you at, were you at off the record and there's a green beret walks in? No, it was actually it was just sort of a random place near the White House. I was covering the White House at the time, and I met my now husband, but I didn't end up dating him. I actually tried to set him up with my friends people you would know i'm not going to name them because i'm not putting it all out there like you are tim um but it didn't work out could i guess um, could i start guessing no but i mean you know them so i tried you know tried to do some setting up it didn't take i really did not know him well we were acquaintances and he ended up deploying again to afghanistan when he got back i bumped into him around town in D.C. because he had some policy jobs in town. At the time I met him, he was working at a think tank. Um, but later he ended up working on the National Security Council. And um, anyways, a few years later, we were both single and we ended up dating. And Magic happens. You have a child and now yes. you're a military spouse and you have a That's column right. and about it. I have a stepson it. too. So uh, we have two kids in our house and it's it's crazy. It's yeah. just a big change from our heyday, is all I'm saying. I guess I that's where say, I wanted aren't to start. You proud of us? I, I am proud about, of us. I think about that. The first time I met you yeah. was at a bar, which mm -hmm. makes it sounds like we went to a lot of bars. We did. Um, I did, at least. I'll speak for how myself. How far we've come. Yeah. I mean, I still go to a bar occasionally, but I got to get home, pay the babysitter. You know, it's like 1130. You start thinking to yourself, is it really worth the next hour? You know, yeah. is this worth the extra 20? I mean, I'm sure that the, the babysitter will appreciate it. Anyway, okay. We're going to do some of this at the back end. I want to talk to you about basically two things. One, both on the merits of them, but also the meta conversation about the media. And that is our friend Donald Trump, but also these military issues and 
kind of how we navigate them and, and the military civilian divide and a lot of the stuff you've written about and, and covered for CNN. But if you don't mind, I would like to get the Trump stuff out of the way. So so okay. I'm going to go to that first. Beforehand, I, I think kind of a good way to kind of table set, you know, the, the meta part of this conversation of like, how we cover Trump, how we cover military issues. I thought it might be helpful for listeners to hear like how you decide what you cover at all on the show. So so maybe we could just start there. Like what is your process, you know, when yeah, and back when you were doing New Day, now you have the afternoon show. You know, how how are you, you know, kind of working through, you know, what passes the bar as as being worthy of of the hour, given, you know, all the stuff that's happening out there in our crazy world? Uh these days it is not there's never a slow news day. So it's more what you can fit in. It's more about, oh gosh, what do we have to leave out, right? There are some things that are just obvious, you know, developments in the war with Israel. There was a debate last night. There were some obvious key moments that we're going to discuss. If there are legal developments with the former President Trump, we're going to talk about those. We're going to explain them and try to, you know, put them into perspective and talk about how that might affect things. Lately, it's more about what we can get, you know, get in there um, and sort of what gets on the cutting room floor. But I mean, when you're trying to decide, you're like, OK, what's the F block? I mean, is it you got the producers? Are you on a call? Are you on a text? Are you, are you going, hey, I just, oh, we have a morning call. Yeah, we can't get to I guess we just can't get to Trump, you know, confusing Joe Biden for Barack Obama today. Or I guess we can't get to this issue at this embassy. Right. Like whether it's silly or substantive. Right. How, like, how do you navigate that? I don't know. I mean, some of the little stuff, it it does strike me that things that would have made it in the show two years ago, four years ago, five years ago, just won't get in there. If it's sort of like an, oh, my gosh, can't believe he said that, you know, but what's really the news value of it? That's not as valuable as something that might really affect the race or that needs to be fact checked, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, so this goes to kind of my Trump question. So we have. You did. We're taping this on on Thursday. Um, it's going to air on Sunday. So we had this debate last night, which I didn't watch, despite the fact that I'm a, I'm a professional political pundit. Because in my view, is like, who cares, right? Like, what is the, what was the point of that debate? I, I guess yeah. uh, are we not at a point when you're assessing what might affect the race? Might Trump crazy comments at his rally in Hialeah? actually be more relevant than that debate? I mean, when these guys are losing to him by 40 points? I mean, how do you do that? How do you know? Like, do we have to talk about Tim Scott still? I mean, I guess it's interesting that he brought his Canadian girlfriend on stage last night, but I mean, he's at 2%. He's losing by 50. Oh, like, I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll be covering that today. <laughs> right. And I personally found that interesting. And, you know, texted some friends yeah, about it. Like, oh, sure. that's interesting. I, and I, when it happened, because I yeah, did watch it. Sure. I was like, oh, who is, that's interesting. I, um, did I miss something? And actually, I, I was proud of myself that I hadn't missed it, that I did recognize that was a new face. Um, but no, that's not something that's going to be in there. Yeah. When it comes to what Trump says, I mean, I think it's important to know where his head is. So we listen to what he says, right, at his events. And if he's going on a different direction or something that's important, we're probably going to talk about it. I hear some people, and we're going to, we're going to fact check it. There's this argument out there that you, I mean, you hear it all the time where people will say, why do you even talk about what he says? If, if, he is, if something is a lie, why do you put it out there? You're just amplifying it. It's going to be out there. And when you Google something, you know, it's going to pop up. Right. Okay, well, what else pops up? The fact check of it, hopefully, yeah. that you did on your show. So that there's sort of something. I mean, a lot of times we're doing stuff on TV, but I am thinking of it in terms of doing it for perpetuity on the Internet. That when something is Googled later, that is sort of attached to the moment or the topic. And it's something that will come up that people will see. Not just, you know, when when they're viewing. I like to think that our ratings are good, but that's they're not that many people at any given time. But people are on the Internet. Pardon me. I'm, I'm drinking kombucha because I'm on antibiotics, which I think everyone is right now. So do it. I've got to get my probiotics. Get your kombucha. I, I do think you're maybe contributing to your brand as a liberal elite by drinking kombucha. But, but I mean, please. I know, but I have to. It's kind of like it's passion. For, it's like a soda, basically. Mm. It's a sugary kombucha. Yeah, that's, I don't. it's not, you know. Good. 
It is true. This is navel gazy. That's the nature of the business. I mean, obviously, like lots of people are watching CNN, and, and it's not nothing. But still, the people that need to hear the fact check are probably not watching daytime CNN, right? You know, they're like sure. getting stuff through ephemera. And I do think yeah. this is what you're saying. The stuff does live on the internet. The fact check is important. Maybe they'll see it when it comes across their TikTok feed. Maybe or they probably won't. Yeah, for being honest, right? Or maybe somebody will mention it to them, or somebody will be able to fact check it. I, you know, and I always use my LSU tailgate buddies as my kind of like normie judge of like what's happening. And occasionally they'll mention something to me like, "Why did Joe Biden put the flag at half staff when Soleimani died?" And I'm like, "That didn't happen, right?" But so it's nice. Someone asked me, "Why does Nan?" This was like years ago. Why is Nancy Pelosi proposing a 100% income tax? Well, because she isn't. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking me since I'm a congressional correspondent. <laughs> hey, I'll have this to do. You're um, resident correspondent. <laughs> but so here, here's Jake on the Trump question, right? Because I think this Trump question is so hard. And I think a lot of times people are, are living in 2015 where maybe the answer to it was different than it is today when he's already been the president. But um, do you cover him? Do you not? Right? There was a criticism in 2016 that's like, you know, cable showing the empty podium. We're waiting Trump to come. You know, maybe, you know, they're showing these speeches for hours. Jeb can't get a word in edgewise. I, I think that that was maybe a legitimate critique then. Now maybe the pendulum swings, though. You know, Tapper earlier this week said, you know, the degree to which the public is not really seeing the full Trump is really remarkable. We're not covering his rallies in the way that he used to and we used to. And I have to wonder if if that relates to his strength in the polls. He was asking this question to some strategists. But obviously, it's not your guy's job to, to determine what affects the polls. But I do wonder if you think about that and think, well, you know, maybe we've gone too far the other way. Maybe people do need to see unfiltered, crazy Trump so they know what they're going to get, you know, rather than just dismissing it and saying, oh, he said the silly thing about whales in the ocean and, and like, why, you know, there's serious stuff going on in Gaza. Why should we bring this up? Maybe people do need to see it if he's the win- if he's going to be the nominee. Do you think they're really not seeing it, though? I mean, I agree with Jake that we're kind of seeing less, but he's also busy. He's got four particularly large pressing issues right now, right? I mean, At he's got a four. lot on his plate, you know, being glib about it aside, serious things. Yeah. He's got a lot of stuff taking up his time. I mean, this particular week, he was in court in Manhattan talking about something that we know does take up a lot of headspace for him. So I think it makes sense we're not seeing so much of him. But he's still out there. You know, he still communicates. You still see some of his unfiltered things. You see his speaking appearances. It's not like that's completely gone. I don't know if the pendulum has swung the other way. I do think we're a year out. And, you know, to the degree that Trump can sort of show some self-control, we have seen with him deciding not to be in these debates that there's a little bit of a do-no-harm approach, you know, when he can pull that off. He's pulling exceptionally well as a frontrunner exceptionally well which is, which is why we should be paying attention to him right uh you know with the critical eye but it's also why he's trying to preserve that advantage maybe that's why we're not seeing him as well but there's a lot of time left remember in our glory days back when we were at the bar uh in 2012 Mitt romney did a gaffe do you remember this gaffe the 47 percent gaffe oh yeah yeah okay that was that was pretty big one it was big news it was a mistake i'm not saying it wasn't a mistake it's pretty dumb thing to say that that 47 percent of america is not capable of you know making decisions for themselves because they're on the teat of the government it wasn't Mitt's best moment but like if you put the 47 percent gaffe in the middle of a of trump's speech last night in hialeah it would not have made the show. It would not have made your show. It would not have made the network. It wouldn't have even made the bulwark. We have Trump derangement syndrome. Like, right? Like, it would, uh, you know, like he says so much crazy shit all the time that it does just get glossed over, right? And you'd wonder if Joe Biden, on the other hand, like if Joe Biden confused Donald Trump with Ronald Reagan and he's like, you know, my opponent, Ronald Reagan, like, there would be segments on CNN that's like, is Joe Biden losing it? Does he have dementia? Right? And like Donald Trump does that and it's like, well, we can't cover this. I mean, it's like he says so much crazy shit. Like, so is there that is there an imbalance? Like, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate like what's newsworthy for Trump versus what would be newsworthy for other guys or women? I mean, just to jump off of your example with the Biden thing, yeah. I think confusing him for Ronald Reagan <laughs> would be 
I mean, that's pretty maybe big. An ex- maybe a hyperbolic comparison. I think, comparison. If, I think <laughs> if Trump did something like that, it would get covered, both of them up in years. But Trump does call Biden Obama sometimes now. He calls Biden Obama. He's yeah, like, and that, but that to me is, um, I don't know, it's sort of like more adjacent. <laughs> a normal right? senior two, moment? Okay. Those two, it, yeah, or just a normal person moment. Yeah, sure. Um, I can think of someone else that maybe... Um, Biden could mistakenly miss say the name or something, you know, yeah, that sure. wouldn't be as weird. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess if your point is that they are held to different standards, yeah. right? Oh, and it's not even really Biden. Trump is held to a different standard as everyone else. Everyone. Well, that's else. right. right yeah. uh, because of like the extremity of his behavior. Yeah. And that's why Joe Biden was elected because people expect something different from yeah. him. Right. And they decided they wanted something different. But that was a choice in itself, that they were looking at the standard they wanted and Trump didn't fit it. And Biden did, because obviously, look, there's a cult of personality around Trump that there is not around Biden. And they still chose Biden. So I don't know. I mean, I think that's human nature. You know, think about how you deal with people in your life. You invite people to Thanksgiving. Your husband's like pretty normal, but then you have like a really crazy uncle. Okay, well, if your husband starts, you know behaving like your crazy uncle at the table, you're going to be more alarmed than what your normal crazy uncle behavior is. It's yeah. just sort of human nature, I think. Now, that may not be fair uh, in politics, but I think it's natural, yeah. maybe. It is human nature. It's just, it's a little concerning when the crazy uncle is is winning in the polls <laughs> in a landslide yeah. in the primary and and in the general now in the, in the New York Times. And it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this false assumption that everybody already knows that he's a crazy uncle, so there's no point in, in talking about it anymore. But I, but people forget. People have short memories. I think people get obsessed with, they start obsessing with Trump's behavior as a person. Yeah. I think that it's an interesting exercise to look at what makes Trump appeal to people. There's a reason why he does, right? So what are their concerns? What are their concerns that they do not feel are answered by other Republicans, that they do not feel are answered by the kind of more traditional Republican Party or the Democratic Party? What's not being answered? What shifts them towards that cult of personality? Okay, what questions need to be like, in my perspective as a journalist is, okay, well, they have valid concerns. It is motivating their behavior. Questions need to be asked on behalf of that perspective. I think that's really important. I agree with that. And one thing that I've liked about your coverage, and that's my last meta kind of question about this, but um, just like there's balance in what to cover and what not to cover, there's balance in how to deal with these guys, right? And and I think that sometimes you can be, oh, I'm going to be on my high horse and moralize, right? And then sometimes you can be, oh, I'm just going to kind of go along and act like this isn't crazy. Like Both of those have their own problems. And I think you've done a good job of balancing like when you have somebody on your show of of just treating them like, okay, I'm going to make sure what you're saying is accurate. Like, and we're just going to, we're just going to focus on that. Right. And we're going to focus yeah. on, on, on what people's concerns are and try to press them on that. Like, how do you think about that? Obviously you're very thorough in prepping for these things. Considering yeah. you sent me a memo for my own podcast this morning, which I, well, which I appreciate. I wanted you to know some of the military issues. that sort of <laughs> no, my um, I think people should know, like, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes I know I'm going into interviews with people who may not be, Answering questions in good faith, right? Let's put it that way. You don't say. So I do a couple of things. Like I'm, I try my best to be very prepared and have a sense of where the interview is going to go. But I'd say like on those kind of interviews um, that maybe are more interesting than other ones, like half of them kind of go off the rails. I don't see where they end up going. And I end up throwing out my plan. So I'm prepared and ready to throw out the plan because sometimes it's taken in a direction I didn't anticipate. And so I'm, I'm like, all right, let's, I mean, let's explore this, you know? Okay. We'll back it up. You know, well, what's the evidence. And then sometimes I just know that something isn't true or it just, it doesn't pass the smell test. You know, um, one thing that I think you're really good at is I think they can get away with stuff just like throwing out random facts as they're spitballing. And and this is when you're talking about throwing out the plan. I, I remember an interview you did with uh, 
one of the Trump spokesmen during the coronavirus time, right? Where he starts just kind of like making some points about the other options, like hydroxychloroquine and all this. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's talk, let's talk about this. Like, is that really something that we, that the White House should be telling people that they should be doing, right? And, and, and I think that's like a good, you know, going into the micro is a good way to kind of deal with, with these guys yeah. when they're just throwing out bullshit. If you have six minutes with someone, you cannot cover everything. Right. And I always believe that you are better off covering, you know, if you have like a foot of territory to cover, but you really can't, you're better covering like an inch of it really well. Yeah. You know, you just are because this is cable news. We have all the time in the world. You can have them on some other time to discuss something else. Right. But if you're just kind of glossing over stuff and it's really superficial... I think that that's less helpful than really digging into something. I agree. Okay, last thing on Trump because it relates to our other topic. This is usually the question people ask me as a former Republican, so I, I'm reveling getting to turn the camera on this. Uh, but like these reports of him, you know, calling veterans suckers and losers, you know, the way he treated the you know Blue Star parent in the Oval Office, obviously the McCain stuff. Like, have you just? Like both as a journalist, but also, you know, now as a military spouse, like, have you been kind of surprised at how muted the reaction to that has been? Like, what, what do you think explains that? Like, like all, this is all, like, we, I just give three examples. I could have given nine of stuff that were, I mean, to call it a third rail is kind of an understatement, things that were sacred in, in the Republican Party. And it's just, it just hasn't had an impact on them. How do you, how do you process that? How do I process it? I mean, I think to explain it, what's clear is that a lot of his supporters, their allegiance to him supersedes. I mean, we've seen it supersedes their allegiance to their family members, right? We've seen it get in the way of relationships that previously were built on intense dedication and love. So am I surprised that they dismiss like their ideas about patriotism? No, I'm not surprised by that. I also think it has to do with hardly anyone serves in the military. Hardly anyone is service-connected. This is the 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer force, and what that means is that a very few serve, and so no one's really connected to it. And so I think people have these, like, big notions of patriotism and what it takes. I'll be honest, that's how I used to be. And then I married a Green Beret, and I had my eyes opened very wide about what it means and what service member's shoulder and what it takes to be a family member supporting that person. And in terms of, you know, Donald Trump, his biggest motivator has been for him is making money. That's been the driving factor in his life. You know, what's not an incredibly lucrative career <laughs> being in the military. It's a career that takes incredible sacrifice. You're not getting a jet out of this. You don't have any, I mean, you, you're not getting a personal a jet. <laughs> you might get a jet, you might be on a jet. <laughs> Um, but it's, you're risking a lot, you know, it's not to be clear, the most deadly profession by far. Um, I think logging is, um, by far, but it's that risk of doing something where you could die. And that is a wild thing if you really sit with that for a minute. So I just think that kind of goes against things that have motivated him through his life. That's that's an understatement, but I will. I'll, I'll save the uh, the full Trump TDS assessment of his uh, personality for a different uh, podcast. This is related, though, to the question about now the big news right now surrounding military and military families and promotions, which is what's happening with Tuberville and the Senate. Do you make that connection there? Like, is this has it not? penetrated as much because he doesn't have the cult that trump does right like so has it not penetrated because of this military civilian divide or just the fact that other republicans have been too cowardly to take him on until very recently with dan sullivan and, and lindsey graham i don't know about you but i've been pretty surprised by how long this has gone on and it's crazy we have we have multiple wars happening and we have all these folks that aren't getting promoted what explains the lack of salience on this so this started in February and the effects of Tuberville's hold on, which is now, I think, almost 400 general and flag officers uh, across the military. It's not an immediate effect, first off. So there was kind of a cushion for this really kicking in. And I think that gave Republicans a little bit of time 
couple things have accelerated it. Um, one is, well, time's up, right? We've seen it trickle down the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, like we got to that deadline and they moved forward with that and a couple other appointments. And then the uh, Marine Corps Commandant just had a heart attack. Right. Well, he doesn't didn't have a backup, you know, and the guy filling in for him then also was doing two jobs. So it was like, what, he's responsible for four. But the big thing right now is there's a big threat of this uh, war between Israel and Hamas becoming a larger regional war. You know, we were talking earlier about this strike on Iranian-backed assets. Yes. And the, the U.S. has done it. And it's not gotten a lot of attention because it, maybe it is just one little thing, but I would be really surprised if it's the last thing. And you've got all these U.S. military assets mobilized in the region. And trust me, this is military families are feeling this because they're either on alert or their loved one has been deployed now to do this, right. just to mm-hmm. be in the region, to provide that kind of support, um, to be deterrent effect to Iran. And so Republicans who are incredibly you know, supportive of Israel are really starting to go, oh my God, this is not the time to have all these officers not in place. That's why they came out against him. Let me get back to Tomerville, but this point on the on the proxy attacks, I think is so important. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there has to be a lot of angst in military circles, active duty circles in particular, about about this expansion. It's something that's kind of flummoxed me. I don't I, I don't have a good answer to is why we've had now several attacks on, you know, you know, there's a one that's been particularly, you know, successful, I guess, however you want to describe it. But um, we, we've had several attacks on military bases in the region now. It doesn't seem like to me that this is going to slow down. And it kind of has been downplayed a little bit by, by the administration. And, and it's covered a little bit in the media. You guys have covered it. But what's the feeling about this? I mean, I think we're paying attention to it. Uh, I will say being a military spouse informs how I cover events, because I'm keenly aware of it. Um, just how it affects people on the human level. But I think when it comes to service members and military families, yeah, you you know, your concern level sort of goes up. But also this is what people sign up to do. You know, they don't sign up to join the military to just sit around. There's a reason why recruitment goes down when there are fewer conflicts. You know, sometimes people like, you talk to them, there's something going on, there's some action to have. They, they want to know what that's about. That's sort of like, an, it's a very unique experience. They're curious about it. If you're not okay with that, you're not joining the military. Right. So it's part of the reason why people are in the military. So it's just kind of baked into why you're there. Um, but obviously there's concerns at the family level, obviously, and of course. Yeah. Only if the underlying part of the Tuberville holds... You know, the, the military is just so wrapped up in this in the culture war right now, right? I watched some of your interviews this morning about it, like on CRT and on race-related stuff and, and now abortion and, you know, women serving, right? Gay people serve, trans people serving, right? Like all of this, you know, Mark Milley, you know, has been kind of the tip of the spear of this as, as being criticized. And that is kind of what is like underlying these these holds. And and so I just, you you've done reporting on this and interviews, there's maybe misogyny to this? Or is it just culture war? I mean, just talk about like the practical elements of like what is the whole reason for this, you know, having um, women having access to care. Uh, well, okay, those are a lot of things. I will, I'll, I'm going to take this a couple yeah, things. Take First whichever off, one you want out of that. Very specifically about Tommy Tuberville. Let's just be clear. Tommy Tuberville has an issue with the abortion travel policy of the U.S. military, which, by the way, is not used by that many people. But the Biden administration feels that it sends a signal to people. If you live in a state where you cannot access abortion services, they're not paying for abortions. They're paying for travel of a service member or a dependent to go and get one if they need it. Republicans who oppose this will say, hey, that's just fungible. You shouldn't even be paying for them to travel. And, you know, this is very popular with Tommy Tuberville's constituents um, and a lot of Republican constituents who are um, anti-abortion. The issue with Tommy Tuberville is that he lacks some basic knowledge about the military. If you have an issue with a policy like this, this isn't something that these admirals and these generals came up with. This was the Biden administration, these civilian oversight of the military, which is, I mean, I think, and it's like a, it's a hallmark of the American military. It keeps things very stable and it's kind of a special thing in America. Uh, So you have a beef 
with one of their policies, you address it with the civilians overseeing the military. I don't actually know if Tommy, Tommy Tuberville lacks basic knowledge about the military. He's shown this consistently. He taught confuses like space command with space force. He needs some information. I don't know if he's in, interested in getting it. He seems right now to have gotten a lot of attention and he doesn't really seem to care. Wrapped up in sort of this idea of like wokeness or liberal policies. Yeah, I think this does sort of speak to something that some Republicans would say, yes, this sort of this is part of how the military is woke. That's where I was going, right, is in a different time, you know, where the military was just not so wrapped up into our culture war, even on an issue like abortion that's been, you know, a long held important issue among Republican politicians, you know, this kind of assault on military readiness and all this, it just would have been totally not this not not yeah. acceptable, right? Like uh, just because of of the 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 sacred nature of which Republicans have, have treated the military historically. But like that has changed over the last few years. I think it's created like an opening for this, right? Like there I think there just is this sense that oh, the military is a place where this social experimentation is happening. You know, the military is getting soft. Women are serving. Gays are serving, right? And I think that, you know, now we're paying for people to go travel to get abortions. The next thing you know, we're going to pay for people to go, you know, get top surgery, right? Like, there's like this hostility towards the military that's coming from the right, right? Which is kind of a new, which is kind of a new thing that has, like, opened the door to this. Like, I, I guess I'm just curious on your perspective of, is that something that is happening, like, just in the political realm? Are the families that you interview, like, is that something you're seeing from the bottom up when you're talking to, to families? There is a lot of buy-in from uh, those in the military who are conservative. The, the military, you know, when you control for different aspects of where people come from, their age, education level, um, how much money they make, right? And um, religion, race, ethnicity, these kinds of things, you're actually going to see a reflection of American society. So what you see in American society, you're going to see in the military. Yes, there are people in the military, in the military, who love the military, but feel that it is being sort of overtaken by a woke sort of ideology. You know, DEI is a bad word. Uh, they don't want any of that going on. And, you know, when Tommy Tuberville is criticized for these holds and saying, why are you doing this when the military is having a recruitment crisis? And he'll say, it's not about this. It's about the woke military. That's why there's a recruitment crisis. No, that's not why there's a recruitment crisis. There's a recruitment crisis because increasingly most people are not even eligible to serve. You have a full labor market. When people see stories about the military, which I personally think is a wonderful calling, but that there are a lot of challenges to being a service member. What do they see? Sexual assault, right? Lots of health issues, toxic exposure, a lot of sacrifice. This is not a casual profession. And so those are challenges. And those are the things that are creating a recruitment crisis. But the truth is you need women. It's not like a nice thing to have women in the military when only like less than a quarter of Americans or even candidates to join the military and then half of those people, guess what? They're women. Right. Half of that quarter is women. So you need to make uh, it a place where women can work. I think that what you've seen with this, it's not just political. It is in practice. And I think that it is, it's a reaction. You know, there's sort of this, there was Me Too, and we've seen a reaction in the civilian world. There was uh, Black Lives Matter and sort of that whole summer of racial reckoning And you saw that play out as well in the military and you saw military leaders at the time actually get a lot of, um, you know, they really sort of led on that. And they talked about how racism was playing out in the military and things needed to be changed. We saw this stuff about the Confederate uh, names of bases and that kind of thing. Um, And there has been a transformation of that. And now you're seeing a reaction. I want to ask you about the Confederate races. Before I forget, I have another theory about the recruitment crisis, by the way, which is not, which goes against my, you know, kind of Bush era political views. You have to assess reality. I mean, if you're 19 right now, you've lived in a world where every military thing that we've done has been a disaster, right? Like Iraq was a disaster. Afghanistan was less of a disaster, but pretty bad. The exit from Afghanistan was a disaster and ugly. And so it's like, why am I signing up for that? You know what I mean? Why am I signing up for this? 
you know, there has to be accountability for the politicians and the military leadership. That like, why isn't recruitment happening? I don't think it's because they're scared of woke stuff, right? No. No, I would agree with you, but also you had a whole generation that signed up after Vietnam. That's true, right? Although honestly, Vietnam, like for what a sort of um, abysmal war that was. It was so short compared to Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. It's like wild to think about it. But also, 9-11 was incredibly inspirational for people reacting to that and wanting to go fight. So yeah. you did have that, which I think factored in for people in Vietnam didn't, right? Yeah, galvanizing. Um, anyway, uh, but just one more thing on the woke thing, because you talked to this, you did a great interview with Congressman Waltz while I was watching this morning. In addition to the recruitment issues, you're talking about women you know, it's a diversifying country, right? Like, and the, a number of young people, it's just, there are just more black and brown people that that would be qualifying, right? And it kind of yeah. surprised me when you were doing that interview. One I'm thing married that, to one of them. Yeah, there you go. Like, one thing that I didn't know, I didn't know, is just like, Robert E. Lee's name is all over West Point, right? Like, this is just yeah. one example, right? And then yeah. you have VMI, and like, there are others. And it's like, I don't know. I could see how that would be an impact for a young black kid. That's like, why? Yeah. Why? I don't, I don't want to live in the Robert E. Lee dorm. Yeah. Sorry. The Robert E. Lee barracks. I asked my husband, barracks, Fernando. Yeah, Fernando. Okay. Did you live in the Robert E. Lee barracks at West Point? I don't think he did. But as an example, military service tends to be siloed in families. If your mother or father served, you are more likely to serve. There tends to be a little bit of like a Southern tradition in it. That's the sort of family silo kind of runs through the South. Mm -hmm. My husband's from Texas. Our kids, right? So my stepson is black and Hispanic. Our young, younger son is Hispanic and white. And especially when I think, you know, my stepson idolizes his dad. And I, the chance that he would go into the military is higher. How old's your stepson? Seven. So the chance that he would go into the military is higher, maybe, you know, it, it's, he just idolizes sure. um, my husband. And I think about him, okay, my husband went to West Point, and I think about my stepson going, and I'm thinking, really, is he going to walk, like, under Robert E. Lee Gate or stay in Robert E. Lee Barracks? It's, all right, that's odd. And he's not going to, I don't believe, because I think there's, it's very much in the works that a lot of these things are, uh, being eliminated, Robert E. Lee attended West Point. Um, but yeah, there's, it, you, you may not know it, but there, and there's this whole thing going on right now in the military where they are getting rid of a lot of um, Confederate names. Fort Bragg is now Fort Liberty. Interesting, they did not rename it after someone else. They renamed it after a concept. But Fort Hood in Texas is Fort Cavazos, so it was named after someone. I don't think the German kids are going to, you know, Himmler... Himmler barracks like you know I just I think that there's some there's just some some basic things we, we can we can change about that I, I, I wanted to move to the home front stuff you've been talking about your husband what I'm most curious about is that this was a change for you right because you did have military family in your background but still yeah. right like it Not is like that I experienced the life though right By the time I was like an age to remember things my dad was my dad was in the Australian Navy I was like two when he got out. Okay, I don't he, remember. Hold anything. on, just quick pause. Is the Australian Navy like a thing? I mean, do, oh, they, yeah. do they have boats? What do they? What oh, do they, they have down there? Ships. Aus- they, yes, they got they ships. Australia, yeah. you got your own ships. Mm-hmm. Really, that's yep. pretty nice. What is, yeah. uh, <laughs> are they like our old ships that we give to? No, Australia? they have their own. <laughs> okay, wow. You know the that's Australian cute. U.S. You know this whole thing. The Australian U.S. military alliance is like a big deal. Trying to see. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I kind of had forgotten before I was doing this that your dad was Australian. Do you ever think about, as we're, as we're staring down the barrel of a 2020 election repeat, do you ever think that maybe you and Fernando and the fam should just, like, relocate to Canberra? Does that ever cross uh, your mind? I was mind? born in Canberra. If I was going to relocate, it would probably be to another city. But no, I'm not going to. I mean, Tim... I'm sticking around. I know. I know. I know you love America, but I just, you know, anyway, it's just, just, I, I kind of forgot that. But it's a different life, right? So, like, what was the biggest eye opening wake up call? Like, what was the first thing that you're like, oh shit? Like, I didn't consider that this was going to be. Oh, well, there was a big one of those. First off, I thought Fernando was kind of done deploying, and then he wasn't. <laughs> was that a, was that a, Communicate. Was that maybe an intentional communications uh, gray no, 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 area no. during he, the dating? Just, 
Okay, so it's in a way, in a way, I understand this. Like in TV news, as an anchor, I operate in contracts that are generally like two or three years. And when you're in the military, you operate in, you know, assignments like billets, and they're generally two or three years. So you never know you, what you're going to do. You could go work at the Pentagon. He was kind of up in years in his career. When I married him, he was okay. a lieutenant colonel. And he'd been in combat for years at that point. Um, where, where was he in combat? Before we were together. Like when, yeah. I, when we got married, he was here in Washington, D.C. But before that, it was Iraq and Afghanistan. And initially, he was part of um, 7th Group Special Forces, which is based in Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, so he was in Colombia. Uh, that was like his first real kind of big deployment with anti-FARC forces, yeah. helping like Colombia special forces. So um, it kind of seemed like maybe that was done, like he was going to be a desk job kind of guy. Well, you know what? That's not what happened. <laughs> um, all of a sudden he was shipping out to the Middle East and he had been gone for, I don't know, like a week and change. And I found out I was pregnant. Well, that's, I so, guess, good. I guess it's better that yeah. you're pregnant before. Yeah. No, that was great. Because I was, listen, I was no spring chicken, so I was very happy to be pregnant. But it was just all of a sudden a very different deployment. I was going to be alone through practically an entire pregnancy. And I was caring for my stepson on my husband's custodial time. So now I'm, you're, you know. You're also on television. Were you on the morning show then? Were you on New Day? When, when was this? Okay. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that, honestly. No, I was anchoring the mm, I was anchoring. No, I wasn't. I wasn't anchoring the afternoons. I was like in between things. And then I just found that I was confronting things. I didn't know that I would have to. You know, I was like a little worried about him, even though maybe in, I didn't really need to be all that worried about him. But there's just sort of unknown. Like a lot of the work he would do. I'm not privy to details of it. Right. Yeah. I would worry about things. I'm mostly it's just the logistical challenges of being alone in like at home life during a deployment. The weird thing, too, was I was like 37, I think, at the time. And I've been at CNN for a long time. I've been here for over 10 years. I had a really established friend group. And all of a sudden, it just wasn't cutting it. Like everyone, I'd felt very much on the same frequency as everyone. And now I'm going through something that mostly everyone around me cannot identify with. And I was feeling incredibly lost. And it was then that I kind of plugged into the military family community. Um, but I was almost like embarrassed by how little I had known about what it took just to get through this process. I'm sure. And so then are you plugging in with the military spouse community? It's like you and a bunch of 23 year olds or like, what? no, was I actually, so no. there, of course that is, you know, there are 23 year old, mostly military spouses, <laughs> but there's also like a ton of military spouses my age. And generally they had had their kids younger than me, right. which was a blessing for me because then they would like I would tell my civilian friend stuff and they'd be like, that's insane. And then I'd tell like a military spouse friend whose kids were like a little older and they were about my age and they were professional women who were holding down jobs and had been through deployments. And they'd be like, yeah, no, that's normal. And just hearing someone say like, yeah, that's totally normal. Oh, he said he was going to maybe get out of the military. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, yeah. just that kind of stuff. Like, it'll be a few more years. He's just warming up the idea sure. of it or something. You know, just the stuff they would tell me would be like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for like, just setting expectations is really helpful. Yeah, life planning may be a little different. Yeah. Okay, if this is too, if it's too, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm getting digging too deep here, you can just let me know. But I, I'm curious. So you have a stepson, right? And it's like he's right. gone for all this time, right? You have to parenting. So like that is something you have to deal with. Obviously, very unique for you, but the other families have to deal with, right? Like you've got a kid. Like think how the kids deal with having a dad gone for so long. Yes. And you got dumped in the deep end on that. So important. And families make different decisions about this. Like, um, I mean, I've heard people make all kinds of decisions. A mom who had a baby in the Navy, who's a friend of mine, and she decided basically to deploy her to go to training when the baby was only six weeks old. And she was trying to get something out of the way. In retrospect, it was not a good idea. When my stepson was, my husband deployed when my stepson was about 18 months old. And it actually, it was like a year and a half old. And it turned out to be fine. He was actually capable of, he, you know, he wasn't super right. verbal, but he was, he liked to show daddy that he was walking the dog. 
and he would talk to him on the iPhone and he would draw pictures for him and they didn't miss That's a step, true. right? They really didn't. But then the next time my husband deployed um, was shortly after our youngest, who is five now. He was only like, I want to say he was like a few months old, five months old, something. And so he was really gone from like, right, I think when I feel like they start become, being able to see your face yeah. for like another yeah. year, roughly. I'm yeah. being rough about this. And that was tough. I mean, they, he was such a mama's boy and it took a long time for them to rebuild. Whereas with our other child, it was just so easy for them. One of the other things you sent me that like I hadn't, like I'll just like, I, I'm I'm like you. I I feel I'm like embarrassed sometimes by my lack of military knowledge. I at least own it. I was you know at least in Republican campaigns there was always military guys around, so I could always you know if something came up I could always be like I'm calling John Noonan. He could he could tell me you know so I don't sound like an idiot on this yeah. interview. But um you know one of the things you sent me that I just didn't even think about is like employment for people for the spouses for the family members who are back home. Like it is it's just so hard right because. You know, you're talking about how in your personal experience, it's like, okay, it was kind of hard to plan everything because it's like I thought he might be done and, and then he gets sent out again and, and there's a short window for dealing with that. But you're in a career, right? For people that are getting sent around to different places, some of these bases, let's be honest, are not exactly in areas that are, you know, economically thriving. Yeah. You know, that's something that I hadn't even really like kind of considered. Like when did that like pop up on your radar and you've done some some reporting on that? As soon as I sort of got into the military family community and started at reporting on the issues that affect them, that was the first one that popped up because military spouses have depression level, depression era level unemployment. And you can draw a line from that to so many ills in military family life, food insecurity, which is, that's kind of embarrassing. You know, it's just ridiculous. How are military families like not able to have enough food? It's like that's a, crazy. I, it's all. It's so crazy. It's almost like, is that really real? Like you've talked to people. You've talked. Oh my to god! Families? But the thing is, listen, it's true. I was not just talking. These yeah. statistics are out, and there's even clear ones that were just released this week. It's like during the pandemic, one in eight military families was accessing a food bank. These are families. These are people who've actually been in the military. Think about that time where you only have the service member earning, and then maybe you have two or three kids. And you've started to climb up the ladder. So you have an income, but now you have more mouths to feed and a lot of expenses. Right. As we know, like having small kids is so expensive. Um, and moving is expensive. Moving is expensive. And they end up paying stuff out of pocket. Yeah. And so now you're just at that childcare is expensive if you're going to, you know. And so there's just a point where there's like a almost like a donut hole for a lot of families. Um, so. The employment part, also military spouses, like they tend to be more highly trained and educated than their cohorts, than their civilian cohorts. It's not like they're some people, um, there's sort of like a meme about military spouses and it's completely unfair because writ large, they're, like I said, with the education and the training, they're really quite a valuable source for people looking to employ them, but they also move every two to three years. So if you are an employer, you're thinking, oh, do I want to hire this person who's moving in two years? There's always legislation going through Congress trying to maybe put in a tax incentive, but that needs to pay for. Yeah. That means that need that costs money. So it's hard to attach it to something and it always kind of fails. There's another one right now that Senators Boozman and um, Kane have put up, but I don't know if it's going to pass. It like never passes, but eventually yeah. maybe it will, you know? It's just really a shame, you know, and they're such great employees because they manage so much stuff. I mean, you can train someone to do anything, but it's like getting an employee who gets stuff done without complaining, you know, can actually multitask and just take care of everything. That's that's an amazing set of just skills to bring to a job. Okay, last thing before you get to rapid fire. You, this is your first Veterans Day with your spouse. Is finally a veteran. It's official. He's not going back out. Or it's done, done? Okay, it's that's great. I'm curious about the reentry. What's that like? You know, is ever as hard as the separation is, is there ever a time where he's like, hey, you know, I could use one more deployment? Like, I, the reentry has to be a little bit oh, challenging yeah. for military families, too. Uh-huh. As veterans' issues, like, as you're reporting on this, like, what is the thing that's coming to the top, top concern for those families right now? So, uh, reentry is really hard because it's like the end of 
uh, an identity in a way. We went through an adjustment as my husband was getting out. It was, I mean, adjustments and understatement. Not so, it's just not so fun. They're like grapple. It's like, in a way, it's like losing a job or retiring. You're just, it's a really hard adjustment. Ego is wrapped up in this. Ego is wrapped up, right? Like you, like you, you, especially, I think. Oh, for sure. But also like, you know, like you're a, you're like right. important and you're doing something exciting and then all of a sudden you're like you're needed home. you know like <laughs> you know, really just, needed and that's like yeah I'm i gotta go to plant. grocery store today <laughs> and like sometimes i could totally see like mental health like how you getting out of bed right you're like i don't oh, even want to sure. get out of bed what's the point yeah and even coming back from deployments it's yeah. called reintegration it's a serious thing you have to you know like from the very beginning we got a couples counselor before he ever deployed because I knew I'd read about it. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a disaster. We better get prepared. It was like the best thing we ever did. You know, it was so good. It's gotten us through so many ups and downs. I'm just imagining in my head, right? Like you're like doing your super prep. You're like, I got a big interview today. I got on the show at one. And he's like, and you're like, what are you up to? And it's like, well, I'm going to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. I got to go to Home Depot, you know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice for like a week. And then it's like, oh, he's getting a PhD. I know, I know he's so got other stuff to like do. I know he's got other stuff to do. But... I'm just saying, you know, there are days, right? Like yeah. with that imbalance, like you go from this one thing that's so weighty to yeah. stuff that, yeah. Totally. And look, I th- he liked, he likes being out and about, you know? So, um, wait, what was the other thing you asked? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I just, uh, on the reporting side. Like what, I mean, the PACT Act just passed, but are there mm-hmm. other things that are like below the radar that just are like the veterans' families that like come to the top when you're, when you're interviewing them, when you're going to the Blue Star mm-hmm. events? Like, um, you know. Employment is a big one. Um, yeah, like finan- financial stuff is a big one. Um, but also health is a big one. The PACT Act right now, you've got almost 40% increase in VA claims. So it's wow. like a record. Uh, over fiscal year 2023, and that's because of the passage of that Toxic yeah. Exposure Act. So you've got a lot of people who are actually starting to get treatment oh for stuff um, that weren't getting it before. That's good news. It also means you've got a VA that's right. responding to that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So that's a big challenge. Mental health is big. This is one that just really I'm always thinking about because people who serve, uh, my observation has been that Look, this is a stressful life, and I think people all—I think people of all stripes, you know—know know about mental health. They know about mental health challenges that come about because of situational things, right? You have like a tough six months at work, you end up depressed, you have anxiety or something. What do you do? You get a counselor, maybe you get on some meds for a little while or short term, and you're fine. You know, like you just throw some resources at it. Uh, that doesn't happen in the military as much. You can't. A lot of times, you know, I think there's this reticence to seek help because there is a feeling, and I think it's founded, that it's going to affect your career. That becomes something that is in practice, and then that becomes something that is adopted as a culture that carries over to veterans, not seeking the help they need until they are extremely in crisis. And you see there's a suicide crisis with veterans. There's also an issue with service members as well. And the military needs to do more. They're trying to do more. It's linked also with sexual assault. The mil- it's terrible, the numbers on sexual assault. It's like that problem. They, keep every, they try to solve it, and it just gets worse. And they're now trying to fix things at bases and places that are training facilities that are most impacted. So they're trying. They are trying. But we're seeing these things really affect the I'm population. sure Tommy Tuberville's holds are really helping solve all or helping resolve all those issues. Um, having fewer people, I'm sure, is, is helping. Okay. I want to get to rapid fire. Last thing, uh, you, you're involved in a lot of groups. Um, so before we get to rapid fire, just is there anything for folks, Veterans Day, want to contribute, want to volunteer, want to donate? Is there anything you want to shout out? I mean, just a number of like veteran service organizations and military family service organizations. Full disclosure, I'm on the board of Blue Star Families, but it does great work. Um, it's the leading military family organization. But for veterans, um, personally, I donate to IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of American. America. That's a personal choice because I live with a veteran of those um, wars and I love TAPS. I do a lot of work with TAPS. They assist Gold Star families. Um, But there's a lot of great organizations. So I do not, you know, those are just a a few that that I 
I'm closely associated with and appreciate their work. Right. Rapid fire, we're going to get you back to your job. I usually ask people, the first rapid fire question is usually what people have changed their mind on as they've grown up. So you can take that if you want. But I'm also interested in like, what about your view of the kind of military life has changed since it's become so personal? Um, my view of the military life, I think I would just say this. It has taught me about how you can be proud to be part of something and also how you can see the problems in it and, you know, want things to improve. I've been a proud military, so I have to use the past tense. I've been a proud military spouse. I do a lot of stories about things that need to be improved in the military. And um, I think that's actually like a service. Maybe that's part of my patriotism. Yeah. That's really important and great. One, uh, one idea for bridging the civilian-military divide. We didn't really get into that. Do you have any? It is so stark. Yeah. When less, it's like a fraction of 1% of people serve, so it's not that many people connected. Um, listen, I think if you know someone who's connected to the military, ask questions. You know, and just inform yourself. You're paying for this, Americans. That's my thing always. It's like, this is so expensive, this defense budget. You're invested in it, literally. You know, this is what so much of taxpayer dollars go for. Um, it's really important to pay attention to what you're spending your money on. Um, do you watch any other news anchors out there, CNN or otherwise? You think, man, that person's doing it really well. Uh, yeah, Jake Tapper does a lot of stuff. You mean on like veteran uh, no, stuff? I was moving on to general, but sure, you can take it. Yeah, oh, general any, stuff? Anything? Um, I love a lot of this I love well both things. Maybe um, maybe we should change this question because you're gonna get, I'm gonna get you in trouble with your CNN colleagues. All of your CNN <laughs> colleagues are great. Do you look across okay, at them. other networks or other you know reporters and you think, man, their that interview style was really good, or that you know that the way that they're covering this, I think is good, is good. Have you you know tried to model yourself after anybody? Um, shout out to Jennifer Griffin. Man, she does so good. I just not, I don't know that I necessarily yeah, sure. model. I just appreciate her backbone. I totally agree with that. I appreciate Kara Swisher's interview style in that she brings like a familiarity, but there's no like sucky upness yeah. about her. Like, you know, if you're doing an interview with her, you better yeah. watch out. Uh, but she's also can be, you know, like there's a friendliness about it, but I'll, like watch out. <laughs> Great pick. We got Scott Galloway on this pod next week. So her her little partner and oh, I love, he's yeah, great. He's so great. maybe we'll get maybe Kara. Yeah, you're next. Okay, you're on the list. He's great, and I also have friends other places who I really like them, but I feel like I can't pick okay. my friends. Like you can't just <laughs> you can if you yeah, want. You can pick a friend. Um, oh, and I and Jonathan Swan. Oh, he's so good. We don't need it. We don't, we brag yeah. about Jonathan Swan on this podcast enough. We don't. He doesn't need any more love. But uh, but he he's yeah. been really good. Dream interview. Do you have one? Do you, do you have somebody that you haven't done that you want to get? Dream interview. I know I should have. You don't have one. That, You're just I like whatever. whatever. Sorry. You'll do it. You'll yeah. just. You'll just. You put them up. You know. You put it on the tee and you'll knock it. You know. You don't, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, last one is I. I've I've now left Washington. You're now a parent, so I I think that the kind of haunts that we would go to are different. But I'm looking for now advice. I I'm I'm back in D.C. next week. Like, do you have a favorite restaurant, a favorite bar, somewhere I should go, somewhere to take a ch- kid? You know, you have to have to, oh, to anything. No, anything, anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I'm out. Okay. The DC changes so much. Like I was in town a couple oh months gosh. ago, and I'm like at the waterfront or whatever they call it now, where the, you know, yeah. where the new politics and pros is. That's where you got to take. That's where you have to take your daughter. That's great because you can take her to like Hanks on the Wharf. Hanks on the Wharf. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Yeah, there's so many great places on the Wharf you can go with kids. And, um, oh, do you know where I went recently? It was so strange. This place called Strange and Cool, a Quebecois. Quebecois. (laughs) Quebecois. It was like poutine. And uh, it's a disco bar. (laughs) It's the weirdest, coolest thing. North Adams Morgan. And I really mean like north of the strip. Got it. Okay. Uh, I do not. Like, I hardly I go sometimes out. stay at that I hotel was, at I, the top of the strip when I'm I've in town. I've cooked at home. Uh, my, my pandemic superpower was making craft cocktails, and I just kind of got... And I have friends with kids, so, like, I invite them over on a Friday. Everyone pieces out at 7. <laughs> that's what is, we do, but, to put our kids to bed. Like, lame. It is, so good. It is lame. It's but, a whole um, new world. I, we, I got my first kindergarten yeah. report card today, and I'm just like... Oh. 
It's a whole new life. Do you get behavioral reports or is that just me? Get, uh, my child is, is well behaved. So I am getting behavioral reports, but it's all thumbs up. Not, that's not what's happening. Oh, well, maybe you can give me some tips. <laughs> I, I don't think I have any tips to give. It's definitely, I think it is my husband. I was like, you're lucky that you got one of your, you know, he's a rule follower. I was like, these were not the okay. behavior reports my parents were getting. So I'm very <laughs> pleased and I get no credit and it's just all a blessing. Um, Brianna, thank you so much for spending all this time with me. You are great. I wish I could come on your show anymore, but, you know, I have a contract now. But one of these times, we can do this again. You come. I'll take you to this poutine place that one of the youngs here at work I'm took me to. I'm Quebecois. Yeah. We need to know. Uh, Stuart I know. Stevens, I always have to think about that because he's like, if things get if things get really hairy in the next Trump term for Never Trumpers, you know, if they are opening up Guantanamo for us, he's like, I got a place in Quebec City. So, you know, maybe I need to go to the Quebecois place to test it out, going to see what the food's going to be like. I mean, if, if, a, if, of if I'm a political refugee. <laughs> anyway, Brianna, <laughs> thank you so much. I very much appreciate you. We'll be talking. Thanks, Kim. <laughs>